Hey, good morning, Bridge Church. Would you stand to your feet as people make their way in? Let's put those hands together. Come on. Yeah. 
Church, how many of you are excited that we serve a God of breakthrough? How many of you have ever received a breakthrough before? How many of you have ever had a miracle happen in your life before? Church, we believe in a God that does miracles. We believe in a God that has breakthrough potential in every situation for us. Now, I know you agree with that. But there are moments when you're going through it, when your neighbor's going through it, when your family member's going through it, and that breakthrough isn't quite there yet, and and you begin to start to doubt, you begin to have some disbelief, and you're, what do I do in those situations? I just want to remind you from Scripture today, Philippians 4, starting verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. By the way, we've been doing some praising today, some thanksgiving today. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you didn't catch that, in every situation, with prayer, with petition, with thanksgiving, which we're doing today, present it to God, and he will give you a peace. So maybe whatever situation you may be facing, maybe it's that financial miracle needs to take place, maybe there's a health issue, or maybe a friend or a family member is going through it, maybe there's some marital stuff happening, whatever it may be. I want you to lift that up, stand in the gap for somebody, lift that request up to the Lord today, and let's believe as we pray together as a community that God is hearing us and that breakthrough is beginning, amen? God, we love you. Lord, we lift up every request and every need that is represented in this place. God, we believe that you are a God of breakthrough, and God, we declare in Jesus' name victory. We declare financial breakthrough. God, we declare a relationship breakthrough. Lord, where I'm sorry needs to be said, or I forgive you needs to be said, or I love you needs to be said. God, where wayward children would return home and return to you. God, for those who need a miracle, Lord, in their body, God, we pray and believe, Lord, that you are meeting needs right now because you are a God of breakthrough. Lord, we declare victory in you. You are the God who has never lost a battle. And Lord, we declare as a community of believers and we say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for hearing our needs, God. Thank you for meeting our needs. Hallelujah. Well, amen, amen. Hey, if you aren't excited to be at church, I don't know what else you should be excited about. I mean, this is the God's house. We're so excited that you're here with us today. Hey, whether you're with us online or in the room, we want to say thank you and welcome to this place. Just a few reminders for you. Hey, we do have a family room available if you have young children or at any point you want to go over there. But we also want to remind you that Bridge Kids is open and they are having an amazing time over there. Hey, before you're seated, why don't you turn around somebody and show them your beautiful face. Show them that smile. Let them know that you are thrilled to see them. God bless.
Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us in church today. We're excited to get to spend the day with you and with your family. We're believing that this year is going to be full of bigger and better things that God has for our lives and for our church. So make your plans to be with us in the weeks ahead. Here's a look at what's coming up at the bridge. sixth to 12th grade, we want to invite you to Bridge Youth. Bridge Youth meets every Wednesday in person and online on our YouTube channel. Hangs start at 6 p.m. and service at 7 p.m. For details about services, activities, series, and more, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at bridgeYTH underscore. We hope to see you at Bridge Youth very soon. Our spring term for Connect Groups have launched. Connect groups are a fantastic way to grow in your faith and build relationships with others in the church. We have a variety of different groups based upon age and stage of life, study topics, and special interests. Some groups are meeting in person, while other groups are meeting online. You can find descriptions, times, and locations, and how to sign up at our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Just click on the Connect tab. You can also get all the same information on the Bridge Church app. We hope you'll take advantage of these great opportunities to get connected here at the Bridge. If you are new to the Bridge and you want to get involved, we want to meet you and help you get plugged in. You are invited to join us at Connecting Point next Sunday during the 11.30 a.m. service. Connecting Point is a gathering that we've created to communicate the heart, mission, and vision of the Bridge Church, but most importantly, tell you how you can get involved and make the Bridge your home church. If you'd like to join us, we just ask that you sign up by going to our website or the Bridge app. This will help us plan for you and your family. And if you have kids, Bridge Kids will be happening during that service to serve them as well. We look forward to meeting you and helping you get connected. We'll see you next Sunday morning at Connecting Point. If you're new to the church, we want to help you find your place and get connected. Just go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There you'll find a Connect card with details to help you get connected. If you don't yet have the Bridge app, just text the keywords the Bridge Church app to 77977. This is the best way to stay updated with everything happening in church life. Thanks again for being in church with us today. We love spending Sundays with you and with your family. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? 
You look better than that. Come on, everybody doing all right today? Nice. Good to see you in church. I'm excited to be here. I hope that you are too. Believe that God's got good things in store for us. Already doing good things. Man, worship was awesome today. It's good to get to worship with you. I want to just take a moment real quick and welcome you to church. I know that Pastor Nick already did that. But if you are new to the bridge, thank you so much for being here today. Um, We would just love to meet you, get connected with you, and take advantage of the info center after service. Stop by, say hi to our team. They would love to meet you. If you have any questions, they'll do their best to answer those questions. Just help you find your place here at the bridge. We're glad that you're here today. And I also just want to echo something that we said in church news. Next Sunday morning is Connecting Point. And Connecting Point is for anybody that's new, anybody that wants to get involved in serving in the church somewhere. Um, A lot of times people will ask the question, hey, how do I become a member at the bridge? Do you have a membership class? We don't have traditional membership, but we do have what we call partnership because we're partners together in the ministry and in the vision. So we invite you to come to Connecting Point. Again, it's happening next Sunday morning during the 1130 service. We have Bridge Kids happening during that service, and we would love to serve them as well. So be sure to sign up for that. You can go to our website or the Bridge app. Just click on the Connect tab, and you can sign up to come to Connecting Point. And if you register, it helps us to plan for you and for your family. So again, thanks for being here today. If you're a regular here at the Bridge, would you join me? Let's just put our hands together and welcome all of our guests to church today. Awesome. If you got your Bible, meet me in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. We're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament, toward the beginning of the Bible. And last week, I got to speak to you. By the way, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge. And uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Ann are gone this week, and they'll be back later this week. And I know that Pastor Gary will have a word for you next Sunday, so I encourage you to be here. But last week, I got to speak, and I brought a message called, I Don't Know. And it was about what we do during I Don't Know seasons. What to do when you don't know what to do. And I had originally thought about continuing that passage or walking through those messages and looking at a couple of other stories of people in Scripture who found themselves in I don't know moments. And as I began to just study those out, I found myself kind of going in a different direction. And I really feel like God put some stuff in my heart that's for today and it's for some people who are walking through some very specific things. So open your heart today and let me share with you. I want to bring you a message that's called The Lord Remembers. The Lord Remembers. Now, You know, when I was uh, first really getting started in ministry, especially after I got married, I remember my wife and I, we were part of a church plant that was in Orange County. And every time uh, somebody would make a decision to follow Christ, a new believer would come, we would meet with them, we would just want to help them get started in their journey, and we would give them a Bible if they didn't have one or if they wanted one. And the Bible that we would give them, it was just a new believer's, a real thin new believer's Bible, and it was called The Story of God. And that's always stuck with me, and really I've just held on to it as a reminder of the fact that Scripture, the Bible, is really the story of God. God is the main character, he's the focal point, he's the main figure all throughout the Scriptures. And I say that to you today because all throughout the Scriptures, we see amazing men and women of faith, real people, not just fictional characters, but real men and women who had encounters with God, chose to act in faith and obedience to step into the promises of God for their life. And when we see those stories, when we see those characters and figures in Scripture, it's very easy for us to look at those stories and see those characters as the main characters in the story. But the right perspective is to understand that God is always the main character in the Scripture, and through his grace, through his goodness, through his mercy, chooses to include us or these amazing people in that story. Does that make sense to everybody? And the reason why I say that to you today is because And over the last 20 or 25 years, one of the things that we've seen in the church world is that the topic or the subject of purpose has become so much more of a prominent topic in church life. 
And it's probably something that we didn't talk as specifically about until the last 25 years. And in fact, I reached out to a couple people yesterday just to have some conversations around that idea with people that have been in church or in, in leadership a lot longer than I have. I called my father-in-law, Ashley's dad. He pastors in the Pasadena area. And I called him up and I just said, hey, you know, when you were growing up in church, you know, now before even your own ministry, how often was the topic of purpose talked about in church? And he said, you know, I don't think that purpose was preached on a lot when I was growing up. It was just kind of insinuated that as I get, I get to know God, I walk into this relationship with God or discipleship and following Christ, that pretty soon I start to discover God's purpose for my life. And whether we taught about it or not, there was just this inherent belief that by following Christ, I discover the purpose that he has for me. I was talking with my mom about it actually yesterday too, and she's been in church her whole life. You know, her parents were in ministry for 60 years up until the point that they retired. And I just said, you know, in all the years that you were in church, I said, when you look back, how often was purpose talked about? And she said, I don't remember purpose being specifically talked about as much as we talked about when you walk with God, you discover the will of God. But now purpose has become a very prominent topic or subject in the church world. And here's the thing. I think that's a good idea. Because all of us have a purpose. When we connect with God, when we discover the life that he has for us, he wants to walk us into his purposes for our life. Somebody say amen. amen. But here's the deal. We have to have the right perspective on purpose. And here's what I mean by that. I think that sometimes we can get purpose a little bit upside down. Because even as Christians, what we will often do is we will approach God and we will say, God, I want to figure out how I can fit you into my plans for my life. When, when God, excuse me, what when God wants us to do is God wants to say, no, 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 no. I want to show you how your life fits into my plans. And if we have the right perspective on purpose, we'll discover that our lives are called to fit into God's purpose and God's kingdom plans rather than trying to find space for God to fit into ours. Everybody with me? And there are all kinds of amazing stories throughout Scripture where God intervened, where God moved, he appeared, he spoke to, he led, he commanded. He get, he, there's all kinds of interactions with God and humanity all throughout the Scriptures where God gives the invitation, he gives the opportunity for people to discover their purpose. But the thing is, it's not about God fitting into their plan, it's about how those people fit into God's. And the best stories in scripture are the ones where people had that revelation and when they encountered God, they stepped into God's purposes for their life. So I want to look at three different pictures today in scripture, three different stories. We're not going to stay on each one of them all that long, but I'm going to look at three pictures to talk about how this works. And again, the title of this message today is The Lord Remembers. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, we see Moses having an encounter with God. But you have to understand the full context of Exodus 3 because in this passage, Moses is 80 years old when he has this encounter with God. If you know Moses' life very well, if you know the story of Moses, you can break Moses' life up into three sections of 40. The first 40 years of his life, he spent in Egypt. The second 40 years of his life, he spent in the Midian Desert, tending sheep for his father-in-law. And in the third 40 years of his life, he was bringing God's people out of Egypt into the promised land that God had for their life. And in Exodus 3, God encounters, or excuse me, Moses encounters God when he's 80 years old. And so with all of that background set up, I want to talk about Moses for just a few moments and see how he found God's plan for his life. Exodus 3, starting 
in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he fled, excuse me, he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. If you know the story, you understand there was fire coming from the bush, but the bush itself was not going away. It was not being consumed. Verse 3, then Moses said, I like this part, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now, this is funny to me that Bible actually includes one verse of Moses talking to himself. I don't know why, I just think it's kind of funny. Moses sees the burning bush and Moses says to himself, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. I don't know. I find it funny the Bible records Moses talking to himself. Anyway, I digress. Verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, God. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. Now watch this, very important words. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, so I've come down to deliver them out of the land, excuse me, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That right there is foreshadowing all the battles they will have to face in order to possess that land one day. And then finally, verses 9 and 10. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." So we said the title of this message today is The Lord Remembers. We're going to look at three stories. Here's the first thought. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Number one, first thought is simply this. The Lord remembers his promises even when we have forgotten them. The Lord remembers his promises even when we have forgotten them. The story of Moses is incredible because from the time that Moses was born, his life was really marked for significance. Moses was born, he was miraculously saved and spared. He ended up going down the Nile River, finding himself being taken care of by other Hebrews in Pharaoh's house. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He was highly educated. He was highly favored. He was highly blessed. He was highly privileged, even though his own people, the Israelites, were oppressed, enslaved there in Egypt. And what we have to understand about the life of Moses is that his, his life started out so incredibly significantly, and God looked out for him miraculously. And as Moses grew up, God began to, to do something in Moses' heart. He planted a seed of redemption for his people in Moses' heart that one day God would call Moses and use Moses to do great things for God's kingdom plan and God's kingdom purpose. There was just one problem. When Moses was 40 years old, as God began to grow that seed of redemption in his heart, Scripture tells us that at 40 years old, Moses is out and about one day when he encounters an Egyptian man who's beating a Hebrew man, and something rises up inside of Moses that says, this isn't right. And that seed of redemption begins to grow. And Moses goes over and he intervenes in the situation, except the problem is 
Moses gets outside the boundaries of what God is doing inside of him. Moses takes justice into his own hands. He intervenes in the situation. Instead of breaking up a fight, he begins to fight against this Egyptian to the point that he begins to beat this Egyptian so severely that the Egyptian dies. And there's at least one witness who tells one person, who tells another person, who tells another person, until pretty soon the Pharaoh himself has found out about the story. He's upset with Moses, and Moses has to run off and run away from Egypt. He has to flee this land of favor, this land of privilege, this land of blessing, this place that's been a blessing for him personally because he acted ahead of time outside of God's plan and outside of God's schedule. And when we get to Exodus chapter 3, 40 years have gone by, and Moses is sitting in the middle of the wilderness in Midian watching his father-in-law's sheep. Now, here's the, po here's the point I want to make to you right here. I think it's so important for us to understand that at this point in Moses' life, he's probably sitting there thinking to himself, man, I remember when God had great plans for my life. God spared me supernaturally. He gave me favor when my people were being oppressed. And then because I went and made this huge mistake, I've spent the last 40 years of my life living in absolute insignificance until suddenly he has an encounter with God at the burning bush. How many people know that one encounter with God can change the course of your life? He has this encounter with God, and suddenly God wants to reintroduce significance to his life. Suddenly God wants to reawaken that thing that he had planted inside of Moses so long ago. And I imagine that Moses was probably sitting there on the backside of the Midian desert thinking to himself, man, the best days of my life are behind me. Life is just in the rearview mirror. The good things that God wanted to do, they're, they're gone they're done away with. The plans that he had for my life, I squandered them. I messed them up. There's no way I can go back and redo what I've done. So I'm just going to sit here and live out the rest of my days in insignificance until God gets his attention at the burning bush. When God comes to Moses at 80 years old and tells him that he has heard the cry of the Israelites, this is what I imagine Moses probably said. Because remember, he, he saw the oppression of his people, so much so that he arose with anger and killed another Egyptian who was beating one of those Hebrew people. God says, I've heard the cries of my people. I bet Moses is like, yeah, God, that's great. Where were you 40 years ago? Where were you when I could have done something about it? I think that all of us go through seasons where we feel like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back as if God isn't listening, as if God isn't paying attention, and as if God doesn't know what's happening in our lives. And Moses has this experience right here where he recognizes that even after all these years, God didn't forget. The Lord remembered. Now let's point really quickly at a couple of key verses that we just read, and I want to just show you a couple of things. In verse 6, this is what God said to Moses. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then it says next that Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Here's what I want to show you. When God starts to speak through this burning bush, or the angel of the Lord at the burning bush begins to speak to Moses, he says, he identifies himself, but I am the God of your father. Now, Abram's father, or excuse me, Moses' father, if you ever want to go back and study this out, his name was Amram, which means literally a friend of God. He says, I'm the God of your father, I'm the God of Abraham. Abraham was the one who the promise was made to that he would be a great nation, and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and that he would lead his people to a land of milk and honey, a promised land that God had for them. But right now, his people are in Egypt. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. He said, I'm the God 
of Isaac. Isaac was the son, the seed, whom that promise would go through. And then he says, and I'm the God of Jacob. Well, here's the thing. The people are enslaved in Egypt, and the way that they got there was because Jacob had fled from his home country to find provision during a famine in Egypt, and he had used his son, a man named Joseph, to be second in command of the greatest nation in the world at that time. And when Israel found themselves in Egypt, it started out as a place of blessing for them. But as four generations went by and 430 years went by, what was originally blessing has now become bondage, and the Israelites are enslaved. And God comes to Moses and he says, I got a plan for you. And he tells him, I'm the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses hides his face. And I imagine in that moment that with the burning bush happening and the voice of the angel and God speaking to Moses right there, that Moses hid his face in reverence. But I think there was something else happening inside of Moses where he he thinks to himself, oh my gosh, after 40 years, God didn't forget about the thing that he put in my heart. And I'm here to say this morning that the Lord remembers his promises even when we have forgotten them. It says in verse 7, and the Lord says, I have surely seen, everybody say seen. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard, everybody say heard. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know, everybody say no. Their sorrows. In other words, God is appealing to Moses and saying, Moses, you might think that I forgot about that thing that, you, that I put in your heart, but I'm here to tell you that I have seen the oppression. I have heard their cry, and I know their sorrows. And while you think I might have forgotten, I'm the Lord who remembers. I remember the thing that I put in your heart. That dream that died behind you 40 years ago, I haven't forgotten about it, even if you have. So before we move on to the next thing, if I can just share from my heart for a moment, I want to ask a question. Where are all the dreamers? Where are all the dreamers? I know we have young people in the room right now, and I'd say, is there a dream that God's put in your heart, a desire, a purpose, a plan, something that you're just just keenly aware of in your spirit that you know God is calling you toward? You say, yeah, I'm so excited about the plan, the purpose, the dream that God's put in my heart. If you're a young person, I would say that's amazing. Keep going. Keep pursuing it. Accept it. Don't forget about it no matter how long it takes, and remind God all the time about that promise that he made to you. But what about the people that are looking 40 years over their shoulders saying, Man, I remember that dream that God put in my heart. Where where are all those dreamers at? This morning, I want to appeal to the dreamers who feel like the, the dream has died. Maybe there's something that God put in your heart a long time ago. Maybe because of circumstances, the dream died and you've forgotten about it. Maybe you were like Moses and you took the dream into your own hands in the wrong time. It wasn't God's timing yet. And when things fell apart, when things crumbled, you gave up on the dream. But I'm here to tell somebody today that you might have forgotten about the promise of God, but God is the Lord who remembers, and he hasn't forgotten about that promise. So where are the dreamers at? I I feel so strongly in my heart to say this this morning. It's time for some people to start dreaming a bigger dream. I said last week, I'm so tired of talking about 2020. 
But a lot of people let dreams die last year. And I believe God wants to knock on the door of your heart today and say, awaken that thing that's been lying dormant because you might have let it go, but I haven't forgotten. I am the Lord who remembers. So if you're a dreamer in the house today, maybe it's an old dream. Maybe it's a really old dream. Maybe it's a 40 or 80 year old dream. I believe with all my heart, God wants to speak to some people today and say, you might have set it aside, but I'm the Lord who remembers. And God is here today to awaken dreams in people's lives. We're gonna pray about that later on, but I hope I got your attention this morning, dreamers, because God's not done with you yet. You might have given up, but God hasn't given up on you, amen? Now, the second passage that I wanna look at today, the second picture in scripture is found in Judges chapter six, okay? So we were in Exodus three, Go forward a little bit in the Old Testament to Judges chapter 6. If you know this story, you know that Judges 6 tells us the story. It introduces Gideon to us. And Gideon was a really interesting guy because when you look at the story of Gideon, the first thing that I think is, man, God could have chose anybody. I mean, Gideon was like random. There was nothing special about Gideon. Gideon was a really interesting guy. And why God chose Gideon? We'll never know. But if you know the full picture and story of Gideon's life, God essentially chooses Gideon, and he tells him that he is going to go and lead the armies of Israel to victory over the Midianites who are oppressing them at this time. So we went from Exodus and Moses and the people being in Egypt to now they're in their own land, but they're, in, they're battling the oppression of the Midianites who are trying to coexist and cohabit that land. Now, in order to fully understand this, you have to know that the Israelites lived in such fear of the Midianites because the Midianites would raid them, they would steal from them, they would take possessions from them, they would take people from them. They would just abuse them in so many ways. When their crops would grow up, they would come in and steal their crops. So everybody in Israel lived in fear. So God inserts himself into the story. But watch this. Look what we see here in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 6. It says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, now watch this, because like we like to think about the good news that prophets bring sometimes, but this is right here is a word of correction. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. In other words, I've done everything in my power to set you up for a win. I put the rest of it in your hands. Verse 10, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. And finally, but you have not listened to me. So the Israelites find themselves in this place of oppression and they think that perhaps God is the one who has brought this on them. But God says, no, 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 no. He says through the voice of the prophets, I've done everything to bring you out of the land of Egypt into the promised land to set you up for success. I put this decision in your hands to have no other gods before me, but you did not listen. And the state in which you find yourself in is because of your actions and your decisions. So, enter Gideon. Now, the story of Gideon is really cool because he has this supernatural encounter. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. That's not Oprah, that's Ophrah. That belonged to Joash, the Abiazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Many of you know the story. He's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep the wheat away from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Look at Gideon's response. Pardon me, my Lord. 
But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So this is the call that God places on Gideon's life and orders him to respond in obedience to what he's called him to do for his plans and his purposes. If you're taking notes, here's the second thought I want to share with you. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers his people even when we have forgotten about him. The Lord remembers his people even when we have forgotten about him. The scripture lays this out so clearly that this oppression that came upon the Israelites was all because of their own decisions. It was all because of their own decisions generationally not to put God first in their life, not to be obedient to his words and to his law. And so they find themselves in this difficult situation. What's so interesting about this to me is that Gideon is standing there threshing wheat in a wine press and he has this encounter with an angel. Now I want to unpack this for just a moment so that we can get a better understanding of this. A lot of you have heard teaching about this with the significance of threshing wheat in the wine press. But here's the picture you need to see if you don't understand this. This is a picture of the kind of fear that Israel lived in. A wine press was like a big, huge hole in the ground, a cistern, a well, where the grapes would be put down, they would be mashed and pressed, other ingredients would be added, it could ferment there and grow underground. That was how you pressed wine. But the threshing of wheat was not something that you did underground because you would take the wheat, you would take the stalk of it, and Pastor Gary talked about this a few weeks ago when he talked about sifting. You would take the stalk of wheat and you would hit it against a hard surface and the wheat would fall off of the stalk. You would discard the stalk. You would take the wheat, which had all of this uh, other stuff. Um, there's a word that's escaping. The chaff that is attached to the wheat. And you would take this filter basket and when the wind would blow, you would take this filter basket and you would toss the wheat up into the air. The wheat would, or the wind would blow away the chaff and the wheat, which had the weight and the value, would stay and land in the filter and you could take that wheat and do with it what you would. So understand, in order to thresh wheat, you have to have wind. But here's Gideon down in a hole in the ground trying to thresh wheat where you can't even access the wind if you want to thresh this wheat. That is the kind of fear that these people lived in, so worried at all times that the Midianites were going to come, so worried at all times that they were going to take away everything that they had worked so hard for. They were oppressed. It was a picture of oppression. It was a picture of fear. It was a picture of a negative outlook that Gideon and all, of the nation, and all the nation of Israel had. So the angel says to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. And I imagine that Gideon right there thought, mighty warrior? Like when God dropped you down into your like teleporting thing to come and visit somebody, are you sure that you got the right guy? Because I'm just like a scared Israelite that's here threshing wheat in a wine press. And you're calling me a mighty warrior? I'm afraid to walk up to level ground because the Midianites might come and take my crops. And you're calling me a mighty warrior. And I love how the angel just sits there and he doesn't relent. He continues to give the word of God back to Gideon to see if Gideon will respond. Now, verse 13, this is what Gideon's response is to the angel's words. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this, and notice these words, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? At the end of that verse, he says, but now the Lord has abandoned us. 
So all these things have happened to us. The Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And here's the point that I'm going to make. Gideon has had a generational disconnect from the goodness of God because his forefathers did not choose to obey the law of God. And now his only perspective is we are victims. We are victims. Look at all the things that are happening to us. Surely God doesn't see what's going on. We're living here living victimized lives when God is in fact calling Gideon to be the man to rise up and take them into victory. And we have to understand that when we find ourselves surrounded by circumstances, we can allow our circumstances to define our lives. And in that moment, Gideon has this encounter with the angel, and the angel's trying to change his whole perspective. See, Gideon, and Gideon could only see himself and his people as victims when God's plan all along was that they would be victorious if they chose to be obedient to God. And in this very moment, the angel of the Lord is there to break a generational curse that exists in Gideon's life. It says finally in verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now before we conclude this thought in this passage and picture right here, I want to just talk to two groups of people real quick. The first group is the generationally disconnected. We meet people all the time in church life who have a story like this. Man, I didn't grow up in church. And when it's like when I came into this relationship with God and I discovered that God loved me, that he gave Jesus for me, I look at my life and think, oh my gosh, look what I've been missing out on all this time. And I love hearing that story. But so often we also encounter people who will come into church and they'll say, you know, my parents raised us in church, but man, it was super legalistic. And I could never make mom and dad happy, let alone feel like I was pleasing God with my life. And it seemed like the church was harsh and the message was difficult and I couldn't fully just make God happy with my life so I just walked away. And then one day God got their attention and they came back. Why? Because somewhere along the way there was a generational disconnect but God in his goodness said, no, 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 no. Come back and find your place in my plan for your life. There's all the time when we meet people that will tell us a story about how they grew up in church but what they knew was religious ritual and religious experience and they never had an encounter, a relationship with God, whether it's here or somewhere else, they'll tell a story that sounds something like this. I just walked in and I felt the presence of God in a way that I never had before. And it was like God extending this invitation that you don't have to do this on your own anymore. You can come and find yourself in my plan. And the reason why I'm saying all this to you today is because God remembers his people even when we have forgotten him. And God has a way of stepping in and breaking these generational curses. Now, the second group of people I want to talk to before we move forward is, is this group. Those who don't see yourself the way that God sees you. The angel comes and he calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. My people are oppressed. We're scared. We don't even know how to serve God because we're so wrapped up in fear. And his whole identity was we're victims of everything that's happening to us. Angel says, no, you're a mighty warrior. And when he tells him to go in this power, go in this might, what's indicative here is that there's a transfer of God's strength to Gideon. And Gideon learns right here that God is intervening in my situation, not because I'm so great, but because he is so great. 
And see, the thing is, if we will stop seeing ourselves according to our circumstances and learn to read the word of God, look at the word of God, and see ourselves the way that God sees us, God wants to transfer that same power and that same ability and that same authority, and he wants to make it available and accessible in our lives so that we can accomplish his purposes in this earth. We talked about a generational disconnect. You know, Pastor Corey, two Sundays ago, when we were talking about relationships here on this stage, he was talking about just family history, stuff that's run in his family. And he made this amazing statement. I loved it so much. He said, it ran in the family until it ran into me. Can I tell you something today? There are some of you that you feel like maybe you look back on your family history and you feel like you're living with the effects of choices that other people made. And that might be very true, but guess what? You don't have to live under those circumstances anymore. You can make a decision to break that generational curse and not walk in the mistakes and failures of your ancestors and the people that came before you. You can choose a new path. You can choose a new way. And don't be a victim when God has called you to victory. Don't be overwhelmed when God has called you to overcome. God wants to endue you with his power so that you can walk in his plans and his purposes. So don't see yourself according to your circumstances. Step into everything that God has for your life. Amen? Amen. All right, third picture. Last thing we want to look at today. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 begins to tell us the story of the coming of Christ. But before Jesus would come the forerunner that would go before him was a man that we know as John the Baptist. It's interesting the way that John the Baptist came in into this world and the way that God used him to go before Christ. In fact, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be the voice crying in the wilderness to make straight the path of the Lord so that Jesus could come. He would come preaching the gospel of repentance that made a way for Jesus to come. So he was the forerunner, and that needed to happen before Jesus would come. But it's so cool the way that God chooses unlikely people to play a role in his plan. So here's what it says, Luke chapter one, look at verse five. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So it's his turn to go in during the ceremony of, of incense. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, speaking of John the Baptist. Now, the scripture gives us no indication that Zacharias and Elizabeth had been praying for a child. No indication how long they might have been praying for a child, or if they had been praying for a child and had just given up hope. We don't know. We have very little details there. We only know that at a very old age, I'm not going to ask the old people to say amen, but at a very old age, because at what age do you become old? Let's just be honest. We only know that at a very old age, God responds to their prayer, and he's now going to answer it. So let's read on. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice 
at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, these scriptures explain that not only will God bring fulfillment into Zacharias and Elizabeth's life, but God is, God is doing it to fulfill his kingdom purpose through their life. So in other words, God has a plan for them that fits into his plan. And here's the final point that I want to make this morning. If you're taking notes, number three, the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers his purposes and chooses to include us in his plan. The Lord remembers his purposes and chooses to include us in his plan. What's interesting about this is like we were saying earlier, when it comes to purpose, we oftentimes tend to look at purpose and say, how can I fit God into my plans for my life? When what we should be saying is how does my life fit into God's plans on this earth? And Zacharias and Elizabeth, well, they were well advanced in years. They were incapable of having children. In fact, Elizabeth is identified as barren, and Zacharias is just simply identified as old. In their own strength, in their own ability, they could have done nothing to play a part in the coming of Christ. Yet God, in his goodness, in his strength, and in his supernatural ability, chooses to include them in his great plan. Now, I want to just say something really quick here because I think that this, I didn't say this in first service, but I really feel like this needs to be said. God can do a new thing through an old person. You know, old's just a state of mind, right? God can do a new thing through an old person. So often what we do is we make, you know, the move of God, the plan of God, the future, all about the young. But the church, the family of God, it consists of everybody. I just want to say to everybody that's older than me, that's much older than me, and everybody that's younger than me, hey, we need each other. Listen to me, we need each other. God's a generational God, so we ought to be a generational church, right? Let's not be segregated by age. A lot of times when we're younger, we tend to want young. We tend to want what's young, what's, what's cool, what's here today. And we forget all the blessing and benefits that God wants to bring into your life from the other generations that he has placed in the family of God. God can do a new thing through an old person. But what's crazy about this is that Zacharias has the encounter with the angel, and even Zacharias is like, are you kidding me? Do you know how old I am? When you go forward and you read the rest of this, I think Zacharias was so uncertain that what we actually see is that the angel tells him, yes, God is going to do this thing through you and through your wife, and he's going to see to it that you can't speak until it comes to pass so that you won't speak against it. So in other words, he couldn't speak through the entire time of his wife's pregnancy, and all the wives said, <laughs> the Lord remembers his purposes and includes us, chooses to include us, in the process. Now, like I said, Zacharias and Elizabeth, in their own natural ability, they couldn't make this happen. 
But God, in his goodness, chose to include them in his plan. And can't you just imagine Zacharias, the old priest, showing up, see all the other priests who were just as old as him, going about their priestly duties in their old school, old-fashioned priestly ways, as his old wife is now pregnant, thinking to himself, and look at God doing a new thing through an old person. I'm not worthy, but somehow, some way, God chose me. Now, that's kind of a funny story, but there's a reason why I wanted to talk about that today. The title of the message is The Lord Remembers. Zacharias, his name literally means the Lord remembers. That's what my name means. My name is Zachary. It means the Lord remembers. When I was a kid, my parents put a plaque on the wall in my room, and it said, Zachary, the Lord remembers. Now, I grew up in church. I grew up in a ministry family. When it comes to the call of God, that wasn't what was important, but I've known from a young age that God had a call and a plan for my life. I've always known that. When I was 18, my family fell apart. My whole world fell apart. And I ran away from God, and man, I just felt like such a victim of what had happened. I didn't want to pursue it anymore. I didn't care anymore. I was just like, whatever. I don't want to go back to church. Church people have hurt me. All this negative, all this negative stuff that had piled up, just, I don't care. Slowly but surely, began to see how things weren't working out in my life according to my plan and how God began to put things back together in the life of my family. When I was 23 years old, I just found myself looking at God and saying, God, this isn't working. And if you'd still remember me and you'd still include me in your plan, I'm sure willing to try again. At 23, I actually moved out here to the Temecula Valley, came to New Covenant Fellowship, this church, used to be called New Covenant Fellowship, at our old building back on Inez. had many people that surrounded me, became friends to me, just helped me walk into God's future for my life just by being friends to me and to my destiny. Very quickly, God just began to reawaken that stuff that was lying dormant in my heart. And I'll never forget on a Sunday morning I came to church. I don't even remember who this person was. My dad introduced me to a man that was a friend of his. He said, hey, I just want you to meet this guy. I said, okay, walked up to him. Don't remember who he was, don't remember his name. Don't even remember what he looks like. He said, my name is so-and-so. He shook a, stuck out his hand, shook his hand. He said, what's your name? I said, Zach. He says, Zachary? And I said, yeah. And he says, the Lord remembers. It was at that time that God reawoke the dreams that were dead in my heart. And I learned that while I might have given up on the things that God had for my life, God had not given up on me. There are many of you in our church, you've heard me tell my testimony and tell my story, but I just want to say to every single person here today, when I look back upon my past, it's probably just like you. There ain't nothing that I could do to earn the favor and blessing of God. There's nothing I could do. When I think about the past, sometimes all I can think about is my failures. But when I look back and think about my failures, 
one thing I realized is that God didn't save me and choose me because of how great I was. God saved me and chose me because of how great he is. And all of the great stories like that that we see in Scripture of people awakening and finding their purpose in God are these great expressions of God sending out this invitation where he says, I know you're not worthy, and I know in and of yourself you're not all that good and you're not all that great, but guess what? I am, and I haven't forgotten about you. I asked this question earlier. I'm going to ask it again. Where are all the dreamers? Maybe today your story is, Zach, I found myself disconnected from church at one point because I was hurt. Somebody hurt me. There was a pastor that hurt me, a moral failure that took place, a family incident, whatever it might be. Can I tell you something? That might have brought you to a place where you started to forget about what God had for your life, but God didn't forget about what he has for your life. Not only that, but just like me, you might look back at the past and say, man, there's nothing that I could ever do to earn the favor and plan and blessing of God. Can I tell you something? That's true. God's not trying to save you because of how good you are. He's extending the opportunity and the invitation because of how good he is. Would you say yes to that today? Would you allow the dream to be reawakened? God's not done with you yet. Older person, God's not done with you yet. God can do a new thing in an old body. I don't know who you are today, but I want to tell you, the Lord remembers even if you have forgotten. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that all of us that are in this room that have accepted you, that at that point of salvation we recognized that you are a lifeline because we couldn't save ourselves. God, if there's anybody in this place today that a dream that's in their heart has died or lying dormant and they've just written it off and forgotten about it, I pray that you would reawaken that thing today in Jesus' name. God, for people that have been surrounded by circumstances over the course of the last year that have made them forget about your promises, they might have forgotten, but I pray that today you would remind them that you have not. That we would hold on to those promises for dear life. God, for the one today who looks back over their shoulder and feels like their best days are behind them, I pray that you would reawaken the new thing that you want to do in them and through them for the great, bright future that you have for your kingdom on this earth. And I pray, God, that we, as a fallen, broken people, would never forget that you have redeemed us and you have saved us by the blood of the Lamb, not because of our own goodness, but, but, but because of yours. We thank you for that. Lead us forward into everything that you have for us. We have eyes to see and ears to hear everything that you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for one more moment, maybe you're here today and you've heard all this, but you say, Zach, honestly, I'm not even walking in relationship with God. I don't know God. When I think about the idea of standing before God, I know that I'm imperfect, I'm fallen, I've sinned. I'm undeserving of God's acceptance. The good news is, this is a room full of people that have had that awakening at some point and recognized We couldn't save ourselves. We needed a Savior. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's goodness, his perfection. But God, in his grace and his mercy, loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus, the Son of God, to die for us. And if we would put our faith in that sacrifice, we could be cleansed, we could be made whole, we could be forgiven, 
and experience salvation. Perhaps the coolest part of that story is that after Jesus died on that cross, he didn't stop there because three days later, God raised him from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it in eternity. If you've never put your faith in Christ today, made your peace with God, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Nothing special or magical about my words. It's about the commitment you make in your heart to follow Jesus. We're gonna pray a prayer right now and I wanna invite everybody to join in on that prayer and make your peace with God today. Repeat these words after me right out loud. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I believe that you are the son of God who died for me and I believe You were raised from the dead so that I might live. So today, I put my hope in you, my faith in you, my trust in you, and I want to walk with you from this day forward into eternity. I will learn your ways. I will learn your word. I will learn to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, we just got a couple minutes left here in our service. Just hang tight for a moment because this is a very important moment. If you're here today and you made that decision to follow Jesus for the first time or you recommitted your life to Christ, we just want to help you start this walk with God, help you get started in this journey of faith. This isn't the end. It's just the beginning of that journey. We have a simple gift that we would love to put in your hands. It's called Next Seven Days. It's a small book, and there's a couple of different ways that you can get it. Right after this service, there's going to be prayer teams on either one of these side walls down here on the floor. You can walk up to one of those prayer teams, let them know you made that decision, and they'll give you the book. You made that commitment in your heart to follow Jesus, and that you want to get the book from them, they'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're happy to help in any way that we can to pray with you, to encourage you to stand with you. If you need to go quickly after service, stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We would love to help you, to encourage you, and help you start that walk with God. There's a room full of people that have made that decision at some point in their life, and it's the best decision you could ever make. So can we just put our hands together and welcome people into God's family today? Awesome. Congratulations. Okay, last thing before we go, we're just going to take a moment and honor God with our tithes and our offerings right here in this moment. And I want to just first say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving and for your generosity. We recognize, as we say all the time, that the church goes forward because of a faithful God and faithful people. And you know, when we talk about what we're doing as a church, we obviously have what's happening here on Sundays, but all of our outreach programs, whether it be here locally through community care or through our missions partnerships around the world, we refer to those things. And I know a lot of people, you don't get to see what happens at community care on a Sunday with the many, many families who are receiving food and clothing. It's an amazing thing that we are able to be a part of because of your generosity. And so again, I just want to say thank you. But I also want to say this. I got to see firsthand this last Wednesday night some of what your generosity is doing here in our church. Ashley and I had the opportunity to come and speak to Bridge Youth on Wednesday night. And listen, we had 285 students here on Wednesday night at Bridge Youth. I believe we had somewhere between 20 and 30 students that made decisions to follow Christ for the very first time. And that is all because, listen, that is all because of your faithfulness making a place for students to come and gather, junior high and high school students to come and gather. And we recognize that there are many of them whose parents aren't walking with God, they're not rooted in church, they don't know much about the word of God. And for us to have the opportunity to invest into their lives is amazing. It's amazing. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you 
Bridge Youth, you know, is such a blessing to our church. Pastor Corey and Amber and what they're doing and their leaders is incredible and it's tangible. On a Wednesday night, you can see it. But as I was there, I was reminded this happens because of faithful people who are putting God first with their finances and their resources. So again, thank you so very much for your generosity and your giving to see to it that the work of God goes forward right here at the bridge in the Temecula Valley. We are incredibly grateful. If you'd like to give uh, digitally, you can do that by some of the ways that are on the screen right now. If you'd like to give physically in person, you have a, a gift that you'd like to give in person today. There are giving stations right before you exit this first set of exit doors on either side. There's giving stations and there's also a giving station out by the kids check-in area. Take advantage of whatever is most convenient for you. And again, thank you so much for your generosity. Hey, has anybody enjoy being in church today? Awesome. Hey, stand to your feet with me if you would. We love you guys. Find a connect group, get plugged in. We would love to meet you at Connecting Point next Sunday morning. Have a great Sunday and an awesome week.